Clearing Up is the premier source of independent news and information for the Pacific Northwest electric and natural gas industries. Published weekly by Newsdata since 1982, Clearing Up focuses on energy policy, resources, markets, infrastructure, and other key relevant subjects. Many thousands of energy professionals depend on Clearing Up to help them better understand and navigate their ever-dynamic energy world. Visit newsdata.com to find out why and start your subscription today. Again, that's newsdata, one word, dot com. Welcome to Newsdata's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole with Newsdata's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host, the editor of Newsdata's California Energy Markets, and live from Washington, D.C. at the uh, Nehruk Conference with uh, Jason Fordney. Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Dan. Yes, I'm here in D.C., National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, a winter policy summit. And uh, yeah, it began today and been pretty interesting so far. On on the ground, from yeah. this, live from the scene of, of the Nehruk nonstop excitement and policy yep. conference. Yes. It doesn't get much more dynamic than this, folks. Exactly. Yeah, that is sarcasm uh, in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, so, is, uh, uh, how is how is DC? How is the conference going so far? It's great. You know, this is always well attended. I think they said 1600 people, obviously state commissioners from all around the country. Um, we heard from the, our U.S. Energy Secretary this morning, Jennifer Granholm. So there's kind of a buzz here. It's good to be back in D.C. You know, I used to be based here. I haven't been back in about four years. So sort of back in my old haunt. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, pretty interesting so far. She, uh, Energy Secretary, was really focused on the changing energy landscape this morning. New technology. Apparently, she's obsessed with geothermal. Um, talking about next generation batteries, demand response. She said, at the same time, there's external events that are creating huge shifts in the energy landscape. She mentioned climate change, weather, the war in Ukraine, and a geopolitical shift around energy resources, along with cyber attacks. Well, here's a quote. Clean energy is no longer just a climate solution. It is an energy security solution. She talked about resilience, bidirectional energy flows. Um, and... Yep, clean energy is where the future is headed. And finally, she said there's $20 billion available right now for energy infrastructure investments. So come and get it. Yeah, I, I'll say purely as an observer, and I, I don't have any like data or anything to base this on, but as an informed observer of this industry, that that line about uh, the the emphasis, it seems that there's increasing emphasis being put on uh renewable energy as an energy security resource yeah. and that, that that that's been out there for decades but that it seems like that is gaining more and more traction i don't know if it's just within the industry within advocates it doesn't it, it does seem to be branching out though beyond people like these are it's not just a new line by the communications department the the marketing department of some you know renewable energy advocacy mm -hmm. group it, it does seem to be branching out to you know hearing it from think tanks and others who deal with security issues who are treating that uh that consideration with uh, you know giving it more and more weight 
Yeah, for sure. We're seeing it globally. And, you know, as we're getting ready to talk about high natural gas prices, um, both economic security and I guess, you know, when you have a more distributed system, you have a more resilient system. So she sort of touched on that. But yeah, the, I think there's new ways of interpreting the clean energy transition, which there's really no stopping that, but uh, exploring these other benefits for sure. Yeah. And I mean, just in terms of, you know, this might not have exactly been how she meant it, meant it, but in terms of, you know, thinking about security, resiliency, safety, uh, the attacks on substations we've seen in recent months are certainly driving yeah. that point home um, that this is, that the issues that we're dealing with, with the grid in general, not just renewables, but just that we are dealing with some issues that are outside the narrow lane confines of, you know, keeping the lights on keeping rates low. Yeah, she she did mention some of the substation attacks. She said some have been thieves, but there are others that might be more ideologically motivated. Yeah. So, yep, again, more benefits, I think, of distributed systems, microgrids. And, uh, that's the way things are going for sure. Well, so your top story for this week uh, you've got a story about high natural gas prices that you wrote, and then also you uh, were going to tell us some about the latest run at regionalization legislation. But uh, yep, what what your column this week was about how how high natural gas prices are in California right now, and it was a, a really kind of drove the point home with the anecdote that you started it with. Um, so tell us what's going on in in your state. Yeah, well, what I used as my lead into this column was I was at a friend's house over last weekend, and uh, it was cold in her house, and I noticed that. I didn't say anything, but she said, you know, I'm going to turn the heat on. There's people here. It's a special occasion. And, you know, Abigail, our, our associate editor, said she had the same experience recently where here in California, heat is kind of becoming a luxury commodity, and, you know, it's no secret that the price of natural gas is really driving that and uh, various reasons. My column was uh, focused on a new report from California Independent System Operator talking about both natural gas prices and electricity prices, which are, of course, related. Here's a quote. Kaiso electricity prices increased as a result of higher gas prices. December in particular was uh, very profound. There was a five-fold increase um, in electricity prices, average price of more than $250 per megawatt hour. And then uh, Kaiso estimates the additional costs, and this is additional, it was $3 billion, that's with a B, in December. Wholesale costs in Kaiso, typically about a billion to 1.2 billion. I did run a graph here showing the dramatic spike. Yeah, in December. Yeah, that is that. And for people, I mean, go look at the story at, at newsday.com. But I mean, the the line, the <laughs> cost, uh, wholesale natural gas costs in Kaiso for December 2022. It is, but uh, topping out at nearly like 4.7 billion, 4.8 billion. Um, yep, like multiple times taller than the next highest December, which was the year before 2021, which was just over 1 billion. But I mean, a pretty dramatic difference yes. here in terms of the bar graphs here. 
it really drives home the point. Yeah, and, you know, there's various reasons for this, some of them that we know well. You know, California doesn't have a lot of native supply, which is one. Um, we're in a, at the end of the pipeline system. We've had some disruptions that have pinched off supply and, of course, cold weather. And then, you know, storage levels are fairly low because of the heat wave this summer. And uh, that kind of brought, you know, we burned a lot of gas this summer. And obviously lower hydroelectric after the drought. So uh, that has really put a hammer to the, the natural gas price here, um, affecting both heating and gas, uh, electricity prices. and. What comes along with that, but utility arrearages, which have been mounting since 2020. I think right now there's about $650 million in debt, utility consumer debt. And uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, the dynamic that's happening right now. I can just finish up with in January, gas cons consumption was up by 7%. Power generation gas usage was up 22% and flows into California jumped by 1%. Mm. And uh, we've had, you know, I find every issue of CEM has a theme and the high gas prices was the theme for this issue. We had some other coverage on this too, discussing some of those similar factors. So, yeah, but I think... Um, I, I was looking at some EIA da data. They expect some some sharp drops in the gas price coming up in summer. Uh, as some of these factors sort of are alleviated. So let's hope. And then hopefully my friend can heat her apartment more often. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But you know what also would help the situation is more energy efficiency, right? And you have some some coverage of that from clearing up do yeah so i had an interesting interview with the new executive director of the northwest energy efficiency alliance which is this big uh regional entity that it puts together the work and funding of 140 utilities bonneville others uh, to create these you know regional wide well, what they focus on is what they call market transformation so it's not just about like doing a rebate program so people can buy water, like more efficient water heaters, but mm -hmm. changing codes and requirements and working with manufacturers and uh, companies that retail companies to make it so that more efficient products get to market faster, uh, become written into code requirements and, and then helping them, uh, you know, capture greater market share. So they're really looking at uh, you know, doing ups what they you know call upstream work to mm -hmm. have a bigger impact that is longer lasting than just a one-off you know rebate. So uh, you know historically, energy efficiency it's actually written into the Northwest Public Power Act uh, that have created the current structure that we've got that of the. You know, Bonneville and all the public power agencies up here, that uh, energy efficiency was going to be like the the default resource in terms of when evaluating 
uh, you know, investments. But with the uh, you know, cheap natural gas prices and evolving renewable energy technologies, energy efficiency is not just the go-to default, like most, uh, you know, le- next least cost uh, resource. So it's been in this kind of weird point in recent years, at least in the region, about like what's what does its future hold? Because there's been falling investments in it, and you know, at, at the time that the energy price cost value of energy efficiency is falling, though, uh, you know, within a few years we see all these new values coming in that have really are really uh, changing and dramatically shaping how people view energy efficiency and the role it plays in the resource stack. And so we were able to go into some of that. Just about how it's not just an energy, it's it's not just about an energy cost, but uh, its capacity value, its ability to um, create more equitable and resilient energy systems. And yeah. so it, uh, they're going through a process right now, this regional entity is going through a process of reshaping its mission, uh, but it was an interesting conversation, opportunity to get into some of the bigger shifts that are happening with energy efficiency where really it's it it's not about i mean saying energy is is really it's energy in one sense but it's not energy like the way we used to think about it in terms of energy cost it's not about uh just reducing energy for the sake of reducing energy but and some of the work they've been doing is also expanding into natural gas stuff so they're not just into electricity efficiency, but energy, including, you know, decarbonization. So, yeah, the definitely encourage people to go take a look at it. And it is a, a kind of sleepy subject that is easily forgotten. I think when we talk about all the dramatic shifts going on in this industry, but one that I think will become increasingly uh, important to the solutions that we see going forward. So, yeah, it's uh, never been the you know sexiest of topics, but I know it's made a big difference here in California. As you know, especially the higher your rates get, the more efficient homes are and businesses helps alleviate that some. So yeah, and that's uh, that's one of those interesting things where it's like weatherization or what have you. I, I don't know how much weatherization is that big a deal for most Californians. I mean, it's cold where you live, but. Yep. You know, it used to just be about helping a homeowner save on their energy bill, but now it's taken on this new thing where it's like, oh, this is actually an equity issue. We can reduce energy burden. Right. Well, yeah. that looks like a nice interview. Yeah. So you've got uh, some an update for us on uh, out of the California California legislature, a new run possibly at some at a lawmaker trying to. Get some regionalization, regional market legislation passed. Yep. Uh, Assemblyman Chris Holden, Democrat from Pasadena, who was the architect of the last regionalization bill in 2018, which I also covered. Um, So it's kind of looking at the situation, what's the same and what's different. There's a lot that's really the same. Um, This new legislation was introduced on February 8th. It's Assembly Bill 538. You know, the first thing I think about is a lot of the opposition that was in place back then is still here. That would be labor unions that didn't want jobs outsourced. And really, environmental groups are divided on this. 
some of them feel that, you know, relinquishing control to a regional entity would bring more dirty, so-called dirty power, coal-fired, coal-fired power into California. I think those obstacles are still there. The other factor was in as the legislature was drawing to a close in 2018, there was a lot of focus on SB 100, which was a renewable energy bill. So I think that took a lot of oxygen out of the regionalization process. I do remember the Kaiso CEO, Steve Berberich, at the time being pretty irritated that regionalization didn't pass. It's for Kaiso, it's all about you know spreading the renewable curtailments. But uh, as Mr. Holden said, you know, comprehensive planning and dispatch across a broader footprint is the best way for to ensure Californians have affordable, clean, and reliable electricity. So yeah, you know, this gets down to governance, and I think he took um, some steps to sort of maybe ease the concerns of neighboring states. You know, saying uh, there would be plenty of state control over the traditional areas of state control. And uh, let's see, Environmental Defense Fund is behind it, but Food and Water Watch is not saying it'll give out-of-state power companies the ability to undermine California's stronger clean energy policies. So more specifically, legislation would direct Kaiso's Board of Governors to develop and submit to the California Energy Commission a governance proposal for a regional transmission organization. So yeah, this process has been in the works for some time. We've been writing about the study that Mr. Holden ordered. And uh, here we are again, another regionalization bill, and we'll see what happens this time. So how soon could it be before we know if this there might be something, you know, some different outcome here. Well, I assume there'll be some hearings. Um, you know, as we get later into the year, the end of the session, obviously, I think we'll see how this conversation is taking shape. And of course, just very recently, Kaiso approved the extension of its stay ahead market across the Western EIM, which is seen as sort of, you know, baby steps towards a regional market. So, you know, a lot of momentum coming from California on this, but of course we have SPP and its markets plus. And uh, like I said, a lot of the, the old problems or obstacles are still here to Kaiso regionalization. So we'll see how it goes next couple months. Uh, we'll be covering the hearings and um, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Well, yeah, certainly. And you guys will be keeping us uh, updated on the progress. So looking forward for that. Well, back up in, in the Northwest, in Oregon, the city of Eugene, the third largest city in the state of Oregon, their city council voted earlier this month, five to three, to ban natural gas hookups and other fossil fuel infrastructure new inf- in new residential buildings up to three stories tall. So the updated city code goes into effect June 30th and only affects new construction. But the city really is trying to draw a line in the sand here uh, in opposition to new fossil expanded use of fossil fuel uh, heating. And it joins, you know, it's a first ban that um, 
that we were able to find in Oregon, but it does join some other cities around uh, across the West Coast, really, um, that have made other taken other restrictions, enacted other restrictions on natural gas. Mostly, Seattle has banned natural gas in new, larger residential uh, buildings. They they did it for buildings taller than three stories and commercial structures. Eugene did it for buildings under three stories. So, um, yeah. And then we've got other uh, restrictions in Shoreline, which is a suburb of Seattle, uh, Bellingham, Washington, San Francisco, Berkeley, and uh, up and Vancouver, up in British Columbia. So, uh, you know, we're seeing cities increasingly. This is not new. There's been a trend going on in the recent years, though. Cities uh, stepping up and uh, yeah. enacting restrictions. Interestingly, uh, in Montana state legislators right now are considering a bill that would prohibit local governments from taking such, such action as this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We saw this started in California and I think, uh, summer of 2021, it got some yeah, pretty Berkeley. astonishing. Yeah. Berkeley. Right. Um, where Berkeley, you know, a lot of things started in Berkeley, but yeah, I we were talking about at CEM. We're we're up to forty three cities in California oh, that have been it. Yep. But you know, it's one of these things. It's kind of like the national gas stove debate, right? The more momentum gets, the sort of resistance grows. I see. Uh, yeah. Here in uh, the story here from Greg Mason, seventy percent of Eugene voters oppose the ban. <laughs> Yeah. So, so okay. Yeah, these things. Uh, no, there's. It, it certainly there. Sometimes with these things, it's easiest to get the early ones passed. It seems like because they're yeah. they're the less the least consequential. It seems because they're the only ones. So. Yeah, and Eugene, uh. you know, where you, Eugene sits ideologically on the scale. My my brother lived there in the late seventies. He always told me stories about Eugene. It's obviously a place where strong environmental bent so it's it's interesting to hear uh voters um not exactly behind this so far no uh, yeah that is uh, the, that was one of the surprising things one of the most surprising things about the story by greg uh yeah that number yeah the mm -hmm. yeah, eugene is definitely a known for its liberal politics uh so <laughs> the fact that there's significant voter Opposition. I haven't seen that study. I'd I'd be curious to take a look at it and the you know, the methodology of how those numbers were were collected. And uh, but nonetheless, yeah, it's only a couple thousand people. Yeah, so. I mean the fact that you've got that large a number in such a small community is indicates that there's regardless of how of the methodology, there's certainly at least some significant ambivalence about the ban. We'll yeah, see. I know some people that are pretty environmentally conscious that love their gas stoves. It's an interesting political, sociological kind of situation with that. You know, is it a fundamental resource that we have a right to, or is it, you know, a hazard that we're ready to do away with? Uh, we'll have to find out. We'll bring you the next step or the next uh, twist in this.
That's all for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and pass along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchpole. Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU News Data. I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy. You can read more of our content at newsdata.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.